You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I am your host, Michael Hushner, and I am so excited that you're joining us. I hope you had happy holidays and a wonderful new year. This is such a great episode to start the new year with. It is honest and real and inspiring, and Douglas Lyons is a genius. But before we get into that episode... We are a month away from my book release. I can't believe it. I am so excited. How to be a multi-hyphenate in the theater business, conversations, advice, and tips from Dear Multi-Hyphenate is being published by Rutledge Publishing, and it's finally coming out. It features insight from Rachel Brosnahan, Douglas Lyons, Ken Davenport, uh, Randy Graff, Tanya Pinkins, Beowulf Borat, so many staples in our industry. And I cannot wait for you to read it. Uh, you could pre-order it on the Rutledge website for a little discount or go to Amazon um, or Barnes & Noble and it will be sold at the Drama Bookshop. It's just all very exciting and I'm so excited for you to join me on this journey. So please, if you've pre-ordered it, post about it on social media and tag me at the Michael Kushner and at Dear Multi Hyphenate and I'll repost, retweet, do all of that good stuff. Um, and speaking of, you know, social media and all that good stuff, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts to Dear Multi-Hyphenate and rate, subscribe, do all that good stuff. It really, really helps. And as always, thank you to Broadway Podcast Network. You guys are amazing. Now, if you want to uh, do a little uh, study with me, my workshop, um, multi-hype with, with, that I created and teach with Ashley Kate Adams and Kimber- Kimberly Faye Greenberg. We are doing our 10th show. Not, not a show. Am I okay? Who knows? My brain is everywhere. Uh, we are doing our 10th, uh, session class on February 20th, 22nd, and 24th. It is a week-long class, that meets on Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the evening, and you could do it from wherever because it's virtual, so you don't have to be in New York. But we cultivate the multi-hyphenate. Our students that have shared us uh, shared with us ideas, we give them um, structure and a, pl- a plan of action on how they could actually turn that into a small business, and they do. Every single one of our multi-hype attendees has done something incredible with those ideas so join us we only have about five to seven slots because we like to keep the class really intimate and uh, make sure that you feel taken care of and join us you can email at multihypeworkshop at gmail.com or message me on social media and we can get the ball rolling speaking of balls rolling weird transition i'm really good at transitions apparently um, Douglas Lyons is a multi-hyphenate artist originally from New Haven, Connecticut. He wrote the 2021 Broadway comedy Chicken and Biscuits, which earned him a GLAAD nomination. As an actor, Broadway New York City credits include Beautiful, the original cast, Book of Mormon, and Parade at New York City Center. Tours include Dreamgirls, Rent, and the Book of Mormon First National Tour. Regionally, he has performed at Yale Rep, Hartford Stage Company, Huntington Theatre Company, Fifth Ave, The Muni, and more. As a writer, his credits include Apple TV's Fraggle Rock, Five Points, and now in development with Paper Mill Playhouse, Bow, and the 2018 Off-Broadway Allegiance award-winning musical Polka Dots. 
Douglas is currently developing television with Stupid Buddy Studios and Skydance. You can visit more for more at douglaslions.net. And you can follow him on Instagram at Chocolate Hipster. Enjoy the episode. Douglas Lyons. Yes, good morning, Michael. How are you? I am. I did not sleep very well last night. And, you know, because we're living in this global warming moment where sometimes it's 55 degrees, sometimes it's 72 degrees, and I have allergies. And so I was tossing and turning, and uh, but I'm alive. So I'm going to celebrate quote, that. To quote next to normal, I'm alive. There we go. Yes. That I, I'm so happy to be talking with you because I think that you are such a, um, not only are you an inspiration and such a, a mind, a great mind, but you're such a pillar in our industry. Um, I think it's because, and I know it's because of this, you've set an example and you put into action what you want. You are the change that you want to see in the world. And mm. I just... I love that so much about you and you are such watching your career is, is so exciting because um, you're an actor. How would you identify as a multi-hyphenate? What are your proficiencies or your hyphens? They keep flip-flopping. I'm versatile. I'm not oh, versatile. I'm not versatile, but I'm versatile. I was going to say, uh, I didn't see that on your grinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, it changes. So I would say pre-pandemic, it definitely was, you know, actor first. Mm -hmm. And then in the pandemic, I worked on Fraggle Rock and started doing some TV development and then Chicken and Biscuits went to Broadway and it felt like writing was the thing. Um, and then coming out of that, you know, I just did Parade at City Center and that was acting and that felt like a real big moment. So I don't know. I would say they're actually equal. I would say they're equal. I love that so much. Um, I unfortunately didn't get to see Parade. Um, I don't know why I missed it. I think genuinely, by the time I found out that it was coming, it had already been sold out because it sold out in what, like 13 minutes or something like that? It's. I think we had tickets for like Tuesday and Saturday matinee on the first show, but then like by opening night, it was just, they were like, it's gone. And I was like, that's cool. Um, yeah, it was done that before. What, how was let's talk about the experience what was what was it like bringing this it because parade is one of those shows right where it's like it's so many people's favorites but yeah there's rarely often a production of it why do you think that is why do you think now it was time to produce the show and what was your experience with it so i was first introduced to parade in college i went to the heart school and um, we did a production. I went on tour with Rent at 19 and I came back um, and my junior year was full of Shakespeare and two lead roles in the first semester, one of which was the main stage as Jim Conley. And I was excited because I was like, oh, I get to play a villain. Like, I don't have to be oppressed. I get to be sneaky. This is this is fun. This is a fun acting exercise as a black actor. Um, and just that score. I don't think it hit me until this production that what that opening number is and what it is really singing about is not something to applaud. <laughs> um, but the room that Michael Arden created was magical. All the change that we were talking about in the pandemic about care and being heard and being respected um, and making space to feel safe, he did that tenfold. The entire company felt it. We had an intimacy coordinator um we had like two choreographers and a music team of four and two assistant directors you know the room felt like chaos because we had 12 days but organized beautiful chaos um and we weren't just like 10 a.m get to it it was like 10 a.m check in how is everyone in this circle let's walk through space let's take each other in every single day we were warming up our instruments for the work um and there was care about the work before you know, we had pride flags in the rehearsal room and not Confederate flags. There was really smart care on how we were going to tell this very difficult story. And I think that helped us come together and lean on each other when times got very hard. Like I broke down in tears. Um, our second day of rehearsal, we did the table sing. And it was just so palpable, the hate 
and the trauma of the story. So yeah, I I have never had a theatrical experience like that in my entire life. Um, it was mammoth, obviously, with the audience, but then also just the love and the commitment to telling this story, which is unfortunately timely with anti-Semitism on the rise. Um, it's always been here, but it's really in the forefront right now. Um, and I think part of the reason people are tapping into the show is in 98, I, I spoke to a woman who was in the orchestra and she said in 98, everybody thought racism, you know, we knew it was here, but we were all like, put our heads down and focus on our own thing and it's all going to be okay. And she's like, and now we can't ignore it. With social media, you really can't ignore it. So I think it's hitting because we're all having the difficult conversations about this country that we thought had disappeared, but now we can't ignore. Wow. Okay. What's so wild about what you just said is being Jewish is now as we're talking about what anti-Semitism actually is, I didn't realize how much anti-Semitism I was facing growing up. I didn't know. And um, because it's so, it can be so hidden and so sneaky and so like around the bush. And what's so funny, you're saying about 98 being like racism. I think you didn't finish the sentence, but I think what you were going to say was, we thought racism was over and I did too, because I, uh, I thought racism and antisemitism was just a thing that black people and Jewish people could, when we sensed it or Asian people, AAPI people or whoever, when we got it or sensed it or heard it, we would go, what was that? And then move on. My, mm. I was raised by a family, you know, my grandma, I remember her telling me, like, as if it didn't, and her intention, or she had good intention, but I remember her telling me when she took a road trip down to the south from New York, and all she was yelled at one day because she was drinking from the wrong water fountain, and that was her experience with racism. And mm. as I, and now, in 2022, almost 2023, it's not over. This is not over yet. And um, it looks, it's so deep within not only our world. I mean, look at the elections. There, Yes, there was not a red wave, but it uh, wasn't a blue wave. <laughs> and purple. Uh, it was purple. The it was purple. purple. And they're the color purple. And there was <laughs> still many people who are very much... Um, uh, adamant about that they don't care. They don't care about these conversations. They don't care enough to vote mm. uh, in favor of those of these conversations. And so, yes, in life, there is so much work to do, but there is so much work to do in our spaces, in mm. theater. And to hear that you had that experience with Parade is so exciting to me because it's not hard. It's not hard. We just have to be thoughtful. I think, you know, Jalen, who directed Jalen Levingston, who directed Chicken on Broadway, he says, you know, how we make is as important as what we make. Mm -hmm. And I think people undervalue how you treat people. Like for me, is like I, I just need respect. I need to be able to look you in the eye. I need our tone to be equal. Like you don't. Have, we don't got to talk about resume. You don't have to. You know pamper me with compliment I don't need that I really just need us in any collaboration to respect one another um, and to make space for one another that we are not meat we are not just product that we are human beings and we might be going through something outside of the room and there needs to be space for that because the work inside the room will be informed by what's happening on the outside of the room so yeah it, it was the perfect return to stage for me and um, could not have asked for a better experience that's incredible. Uh, you you said something uh, that really I'm adamant about, and that is um, under the sort of my guidelines of what I don't like to say networking. I like to say net weaving because networking seems, you know, there's a negative connotation to it. I believe people don't know how to do it. They don't want to do it. And even if they do do it, they don't really know how, you know, they don't really know how to do it. So like it's, um, I feel uh, networking should be looked at net weaving, and it's so much more 
than talking about resume and 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 all that BS. It is about an actual connection. I I'm teaching theater business um, at Strasburg to the NYU uh, advanced acting students which is such an incredible opportunity. And I had one student and it was an incredible question, uh, just out of nowhere go, I have this, I have this opportunity, but I don't want to sound like a, a, a social climber. If I like, how do I ask for something? And I said, you just ask for it. You connect on a human level and go, I, and I think, and this is, what we talked about with your with how chicken and biscuits got to broadway i have something that you will love let's do this together and create so that being said how did chicken and biscuits come to broadway so i was in residence in 2017 2018 at the director's company where talk about networking in 2009 when i graduated college mm -hmm. did my first 29 hour reading in new york city at the director's company michael Cassara cast me it was called Becoming Tennessee. Um, and I played the character, the trumpet. Um, Felicia Boswell was in that. It was incredible. Harry D. Foy was amazing. And um, as I, you know, I've always been a proponent of advertising, using social media to advocate for yourself and advertise and to put your work out there so people can find it. It's worked time and time again. So Leah Michaelis at the director's company gave me a residency. Um, Bo was written first, and then I was working on Chicken and Biscuits, and I had a series of table reads, and um, we had we ended up having four readings within like eight months at one point, and got some commercial producers to put it up at the Queen's Theater. We made our world premiere at the Queen's Theater in March 2020, like seven, eight days before the world shut down. Mm -hmm. And at the end of 2019, I had slid into the DMs of Broadway producer Hunter Arnold, um, who's done Hades Town, Moulin Rouge at all. Um, his name is sort of everywhere. And uh, I said, hey, man, you know, he had followed me on Instagram. And I said, hey, man, I see that, you know, you produce new musicals. Would you read? Would you be open to reading some of my work? Oh, yeah, for sure. Every five weeks or so, I would send him a message to check in. Every five weeks or so, he would say, no, I haven't read. Um, and then in the middle of the pandemic, like April, May, I got a message that was like in four parts, like, hey, man, I finally read your work. We need to talk. And that started um, the beginnings of a collaboration that would end in Chicken and Biscuits going to Broadway because there was an opening at Circle in the Square because American Buffalo had to push to spring mm -hmm. and the filming of Bo the Musical um, as a live capture hybrid. So, you know, sliding in those DMs, um, it works. It can work. You also brought up an incredible... Uh... I, the idea of following up, um, one of, uh, someone that I teach with, a friend and someone that I teach with who is an, a, a genius in marketing and branding, always tells, Kimberly Fig Greenberg, always tells her students and clients that there is power in following up. And you chose a very specific time. What is your process in following up? Like what, how do you say, hey, did you read it? What is your tactic? What is a certain way that you sort of do that nudge? Typically give at least, I mean, in theater, give them two weeks to a month because mm -hmm. people have lives and if they're in the middle, like also know their schedule. <clears throat> so like if they're in production for something or in tech for something, that is not the time to follow up. Um, if they just open something organically, like if they just open to show, you congratulate them and then slide at the end just checking in on this thing, you know, um, studying their behavior and their schedule as it's posted, if you can. Uh, and then, you know, I was the person that was sending my scripts before I met my agent. Uh, and this is another great story. So when Ethan and I, Ethan Pakchar, my writing partner and I came to New York, we recorded a live album in 2013 at the cutting room. And that entire summer leading up to that concert, I went to every major musical theater writers, like, IBDB, mm. Instagram, website, and found their representation. And so I blindly emailed ICM, CAA, William Morris, et al. to come to see our concert. Um, and like four of them came. And we were in rehearsals for Beautiful at the time, about to head out of town. And I remember being on a lunch break, having a conversation with someone at like CAA. And they were like, you need to write a musical. And William Morris said the same thing. 
we had another concert. We started writing Five Points, which we've been working on now mm -hmm. for eight years. And we had a concert in 2014. And I did a follow-up to invite all those same people back to be like, we're working on a musical. And one of them was Michael Finkel, who's now our agent at William Morris Endeavor. And I'll never forget this. I was standing near the sound booth at 54 Below. And he was standing, he was sitting in front of me, but he was mouthing the words to our album. I He knew the song. And I was like, that's the kind of person I want to work with because he knew the material. And and when you are reaching out to people, you also have to know your value and you wanna make sure that they are as excited about you as you are about them. So that was like a kismet moment. Um, but that took me throwing, you know, the fishnet out there and inviting people in. Oh, I just got the chills. Here's a story, <laughs> here's a story. People often go, how do I get an agent? How do I get a manager? How do I get representation? And something that I didn't understand when I was a senior at Ithaca was some of the best advice that we got. I wasn't able to apply it yet because why? I was a senior musical theater major. There's, the program can be incredible. Any program can be amazing, but we're dramatic theater kids. There's always going to be like innate, uh, um, competition and toxicity no matter how wonderful the environment is it's just our prefrontal cortexes are not developed yet there's that jealousy there's whatever so it didn't matter how amazing the representation was if you got representation it was a status you know what you know and so i was desperate to get representation didn't matter who but i just wanted to make sure that i had an agent but something that a lot of people said was it's better to have no representation than representation that doesn't work for you. Mm. And I always thought that was really brilliant once I had a step, once I had experienced exactly what that meant. Mm. Now, in so I had my fair share of reps when I graduated college and some, it was like, it was rocky. Now, I took years off of rep to establish my own multi-hyphenate career, photography, producing, my writing, my podcast, my whatever, establishing the myself in the world without anyone saying, don't do that, or you shouldn't mm -hmm. do that. Making mistakes on my own, figuring it out and learning the lessons on my own. 2022, only a month and a half, two months ago, there's a manager who is sending me a lot of clients for headshots. Not one, not two, but like all. And they reached out saying, hey, Michael, we love your work. We're just letting you know we're sending you a bunch of clients. And I said, thank you so much. This is so wonderful. Thank you for investing in me. Also, do you have room on your roster to represent another actor? And they said, when do you want to meet? And we had a meeting over Zoom for an hour and 15 minutes. And now we're working together. And they have got me into incredible rooms that go. I have wanted to be in or rooms that I did not know I could or should be in, and in the auditions that I don't want to do, I feel so safe to communicate and say, hey, this isn't the audition for me, I'm gonna pass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to control it. We have to control our own destiny, you know? Like, and we can't be afraid. There's this scarcity mentality that we're taught, that like, you're not good enough, you don't deserve, you're not on Broadway. I'm like. I've now been on Broadway total three times with chicken going Broadway. If you, and I say this Broadway is like going to the NBA, but do you really want to play basketball every day? <laughs> That's different. Playing, wanting, waking up and wanting to play ball is different than waking up and wanting to go Broadway because I've met regional actors in, you know, Seattle and Minneapolis who have full lives and they work year round and they are great actors and they are not on Broadway. So are you chasing a dream for a status or are you chasing the craft? Those are two different things. Heard, and that's amazing. <laughs> and what will always be more important is if you are a human above an actor. Yes. The most successful plays, the most successful headshots I've taken, the most plays I've seen, headshots I've taken, songs I've heard is because they are human first. Yeah. And when you come into my space as a headshot client and you bring that humanity first, it's always going to be the best photos. I think it's 
I'm proud to be an actor. And one of the hardest things that I had to do was drop the most important thing about my life was that I was an actor. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. And, and look at how many, like, and here's the thing, right? This uh, the NBA analogy is an incredible thing because it's like your knees give out. So you still want to be in the NBA, but your knees gave out. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be a manager? Are you going to be uh, a, a, I don't know how many different things there are in the NBA. I'm not very well versed, but, um, but in the, at least theater industry, there's, what are you going to do when your knees give out? When your metaphorical knees give out, are you going to write? Are you going to direct? Are you going to produce? I had a, um, ah, okay. I, so with, uh, these students are teaching me so many lessons, which I love. And I had one student, we were talking about, I, uh, the, the course is uh, built around the multi-hyphenate identity. And I had one student go, I was like, if you, in order to exist as an, as an artist under the guise of the multi-hyphenate, you have to, there's four things you need to ask yourself when adding a proficiency to your multi-hyphenate identity. That's, does it bring me joy? Do I have a paper trail with that proficiency attached to my name? Mm. Do I get paid for it? And does that hyphen connect the other hyphens to exist fully? Hmm. That's like the checklist. So like when people are like, Am I a professional writer? Well, does it bring you joy? Yeah. Do you get paid and commissioned? Yeah. Is there a paper trail? Like, can you Google yourself and it says writer? Yeah. Does it connect your other hyphens? Then you're a freaking writer. Um, and when I was saying this, I had one student that challenged me and was like, so are you saying that if I'm a, if, if I'm a this and I don't get paid for it, I'm not an artist? And I said, no, no, that's not. This is a business class, and the multi-hyphenate is a business approach. It is yeah. a lucrative, foolproof approach to making money in the theater. Yeah. It is just a checklist to make sure that you are creating a specific art form in which you can make money off of. Didn't say you're not an artist, but are you a business person? That And that's what people don't think about. And my father... <laughs> Very early on, when I called him, when I got rent, um, I was like, Dad, I'm so excited. I booked the tour. He's like, okay, okay. Um, how much are they paying you? The first question, not what the role, how much are they paying you? And he said, and you're going back to school. Mm. That was the agreement. And that's what happened. And it taught me so much about, you know, I was on that tour at 19 buying sneakers that by the end of the tour, I was just throwing away. There were things, right? I was living that frivolous, right. you know, free life, but... You know, when I was on the Dream Girls tour and we were in um, Tokyo, I ended up going on for Jimmy Early for six and a half shows. And at that time, they, because we were international, they had to pay our per diem and full salary to us, but basically pay for our housing. So we were getting a lot of money plus the salary bump. It was like a beautiful moment. And when I got back, I was like, Dad, you know, I this money. He was like, okay, so we need to invest. Are we investing? And I put money in 2010 and in investments, you know? So it, the show is great, but those that really make it like are lucrative off this business, understand the business model. And that is to be well-rounded as a performer and an artist and to understand, you know, contracts and to understand worth. And, you know, my little brother, he's making uh, his Broadway debut in Ain't No More. And we've had lots of conversations about you know, what's the next step? What's the next, the next thing you want? What are the levels? What is the coin, right? We never take a job that's less than the last one. We're always climbing the ladder. It's a mindset that can't be based on the scarcity mindset. So no, I, I think what you're talking about is, is right on. Why shouldn't we get paid for our art? Because what? we, because we love it so much that sometimes people will take advantage of it is the issue. Yes, but it's so I, I there was with this conversation with the student, which was inspiring, was I felt like they were sort of saying that they don't get they don't deserve to get paid for their art. And I was like, where did you learn that? Uh, I was like, the hotel, the Chelsea Hotel is not a thing anymore. We're not we there's not really a pay by the hour hotel living situation you can you can create art and 
and save and and invest and and buy a, a a weekend lake house you're allowed to do that and and i think with the multi hyphen we're going to talk about what the multi hyphen means to you in a second but also making sure that you're giving back to the world that it's that mm. yes it, it it's not about making as much money as you po as you possibly can but but multi hyphenating is socially responsible artistry and it is mm. about world building making sure mm. That, yes, if you are making money, but you're also giving it back, you are creating, you are hiring. It's socially responsible because you are creating moments, worlds in which you can hire people, pay yeah. people for their work. You are giving back. You are donating time and energy to spaces like Covenant House or uh, Broadway Inspirational Voices or pla places that give to the community. That's what multi-hyphenating is to me. What is multi-hyphenating to you? It is the ability to not be bound. Mm. It, mm. There is a freedom and a sway and a sort of choreography of life that happens. I know for me, something that was important coming out of the pandemic and having done Beautiful for like four and a half out of six years, having done Mormon for like, two years right before that and dream girls you know for 12 months or 15 months before that and school and rent i feel like i've been on this sort of ferris wheel um that just keeps going and going and going and i wanted life you know and i wanted balance and i wanted to be able to go home and go to weddings and not miss my niece and nephew growing up you know and i wanted love and i didn't want everything to have to be around the schedule of eight shows a week and mm -hmm. when i found i had some writing talent um, musically first with ethan and then i started experimenting with writing because um, i was terrified because i didn't want to fail it taught me that in trying i wasn't failing you don't have to show everybody what you do you don't have to put it online you can have a process and you can build your own voice and so being a multi-hyphenate is the ability to say no. It's the ability to be reminded of your worth and the ability to change the world through your art because you're not being told how to do it. You decide how to do it. And so I get to write plays and musicals about things that I care about. I get to audition for things that I care about. Um, and it's not from like, well, I need this gig because I need the money. It's like, no, I work my buns off tenfold so money's not really a question and I can put things out into the world that I really care about. Hey. Yes. Hey. <laughs> I mean, like, that. that's that's it. It's everything that you said. It is about freedom, not being bound. Just if you want to have a story to tell, you then find the resources and know how to find the resources to tell that story and make money off of it. It is a lucrative way of creating theater for yourself. I really started to invest in this artistry because I saw myself on Broadway in 25 years from when I graduated. I literally looked at what was being written and I said, how am I gonna be a part of the NBA but I'm not yet ready to play basketball. Mm. I'm not yet ready to play. It's, it's what that was. I, I, I want to play, but I'm not ready to play on Broadway yet. How can I be a part of the NBA, but not, mm. but in other ways and, and still be a part of this industry that I love and have been a part of since I'm nine years old, but still tell stories that are important to me, but, not through the proficiency of performance because the industry is being written in a way that is not, it's not how I tell stories. I mean, it's pop and rock and I have a vibrato you could drive a truck through and I don't want to change that. I'm mm. Ethel Merman reincarnate. I want to do the producers. I want to do Tenardier and Les Mis. But when I was, when I graduated college, I looked 16. I looked like I should have been in Dear Evan Hansen and Be More Chill and things like that. But when I was called in for those shows, I never, I didn't, it, it wasn't what they perceived about me. They could mm. perceive whatever they want. I didn't feel right. I didn't mm. feel good. It wasn't a story that I would want to stand on stage and tell eight times a week. Mm. Did I cheat myself of something? Who knows? 
But all I can say is that I make money doing multiple things that I love. And the stories that I have told in this industry are 100% mine or things that represent who I am and the change that I want to see in the industry. And for that, I will never, ever, ever regret. Yeah. And amen to that. And the other key part of being a multi-hyphenate, you get to create the stories that the industry may not want to hear. Yes. Yes. There are many times along the way where Chicken and Biscuits was compared um, to Tyler Perry. I was told to change the title. I was told so many things. Oh, haven't we seen this before? Mm. Um, and somehow it is suddenly the second most produced play in the country. So maybe we hadn't seen this family before. Maybe there was an audience waiting to hear this story and the belief in self and the persistence to tell a story that really mattered to me has now resonated with thousands of people in a way I could have mm. never dreamed. And so it was proof that stepping away from the fear and the voices of what this industry deems, you know, worthy and reviewable and Pulitzer, all that stuff, it goes away when you really focus on the work. Um, and that's what I had to get back to if I wasn't only going to depend on the opportunities being given to me, you know, and they're, they're really talented folks out in the world. I, I take the sort of rent mentality, as I call it. Jonathan Larson was not looking for musical theater actors. He wanted band members and session singers and rocker. He wanted that. And with this musical bow, I want that energy. Mm. I want no names and people, you know, who are playing guitar every day in their room, but are perfect for the show. I want to shake up what theater is. And you can't do that if you're only coloring inside the lines. And so also being a multi-hyphenate is being like, nah, this is my page and this is my design and you can't take it away from me. And there's there's something beautiful about that because there are people in the world that fit on your page and they're not being seen either, you know? So it's I think it's a calling. At first I was like, okay, this is cool and fun. And then I was like, oh, oh, I have some power here and I can make some money over here in Hollywood. Okay, I got it. Cool, 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 cool. What an incredible way to ring in 2023 with this energy. Um, Doug, we're going to take a, a break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back to talk more about Chicken and Biscuits and Bo. Okay. Hey, I'm LaQuette, and I've been a Broadway artist for almost 20 years. And when you've been in the biz as long as I have, you quickly realize that not every room is welcoming. Having experienced too many disrespectful moments to count, I wondered, what if what I wore had the power to connect me with other artists without saying a word? That question led me to create a message apparel line that will empower artists towards enlightening dialogue for our spaces. Go to geareduppyfearlessyoungartist.com and use multi-hyphenate 10 to choose the message that inspires conversation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. And we're back. <laughs> um, so, okay. You are featured in, not only do you have a full page photo in my uh, in my upcoming book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Business, published by Rutledge Publishing, but you're featured in a few different chapters based on a conversation we had um, not on this podcast uh, about a year and a half ago, right? Just before the industry started to open. And I want to know whether or not what you say in this paragraph um, still stands or if there's anything you want to add or um, if there's anything, what your thoughts are. But you say, I think 
Well, I'll, I'll read even before that. Lyons points out that the progress being made while keeping his reservations by... Lyons points out the progress being made while keeping his reservations by looking at the situation from a producerial point of view. I think I understand business, Lyons says. So, if any of these shows are extremely successful, the other white theater owners will want the next thing. That's just how it works. I can't speak to the future of the culture because I think that uh, that is a huge question mark. But I will say, coming back after the year of George Floyd and this pandemic, I think there's an overwhelming sense of intolerance for racism in these spaces. Even if all these shows are not written by folks of color, non-binary and trans folks, I think the culture itself will always be sensitive to this new movement. And that, I think, is a win for all. Hmm. Good on him. <laughs> good for him um no i i do i do believe in that statement but i also think what i've learned going through the chicken process is we can't just put the stories on stage we have to build the infrastructure for the audiences to appreciate these stories so if the majority of broadway history is predominantly a white canon and a very traditional style of musical theater, and the history goes, you know, 80 years back, just because you program a bunch of things of color doesn't mean the audience changes overnight. And so the target audience for these new shows, if they're not used to being in the space, it's gonna take time for them to show up. Um, and, you know, folks have said we were the guinea pig for that with that season. I'm honored, I'm honored, mm -hmm. I'm honored because I, I I wanted to be in the fire and it's not mm -hmm. about how long it ran or what it won. It's about the impact it made. Good. And I've flown around the country to see three productions. There's two more. And then I think five next year of chicken and biscuits, that's impact for me. And there's some things that go to Broadway, win all the awards, you know, highly regarded in the reviews and never get done around the country. And I don't mm -hmm. think we talk about that. And why is that? Right. That, that to me is, the NBA not appreciating just playing ball. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. playing ball is the ability to do it at a court all around the country mm -hmm. and around the world. Mm -hmm. And that is what I'm more interested in is writing something that talks to the people and not just to the box office. I think Chicken and Biscuits is socially responsible artistry, right? Not only did you produce, uh, write a, a, a I'm looking at you dead in the eyes, a heartwarming and hysterical piece that I loved. Thank you. But who was cast and knowing that that story is going to be relatable to everyone, to mostly everyone in America that sees it. That way, regional theaters will then grow their economy surrounding them by producing the show and filling in the house with people that might not normally go see theater. Mm -hmm. That is important. I, I find, and I'm so glad that you were like, yes, I love that you were a guinea pig in that. But what I found the industry doing from an outside perspective, that was, I thought really, uh, I don't, I think the intention was good. I don't know what, what it is. But reopening Broadway with, in a very experimental time with primarily black stories, being like, let's see if these stay open. Let's test out the waters while these are like with Passover, Chicken and Biscuits, um, uh, Slave Play, Thoughts of, think, a color man. Thoughts of a Color Man. It was really interesting to watch because I was like, okay, yes, it's great that we are, why, yes, why? I, I always say that you have to have a why statement as to why you're produce why you're doing something as a multi-hyphenate. But what goes into the multi-hyphenate's why statement is the who, the what, the where, the how, and the when. Mm, and I mm -hmm. found it really interesting that this when was right now, right when the industry was opening. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there were openings. There were openings at theaters because folks did not want to bring their stuff in because they didn't know mm. how COVID was going to sustain. Um, and, you know, the reality is, you know, for a Broadway playwriting debut, you're going to take what you're given. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so, I'm so, 
honored and thrilled that it happened. I'm still meeting people. I did a book signing at the drama book shop a couple days ago. And, and uh, you know, this one woman was like, I went home and I downloaded the playlist, Blessings on Blessings, which was the bow song. She like knew the song. She was like, I, it just, it was the last thing I saw after Thanksgiving and I, I loved it. You know, it's a white woman. I said, okay, you know, okay, white people, y'all get it. You get the family, you get the love. I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm less about the statistics of the moment and more about the impact. And so I think we had to take what we were given in that moment, but I also have rewired my mindset around why I do theater, who I'm writing for, how I care about, you know, opening night, the mistake I will never make again is I was backstage looking at the reviews because our industry operates off that. Right. And the reviews had nothing to do with the future of the show. Mm -hmm. There were well-reviewed things in the past couple of seasons that are not being done around the country. Mm -hmm. You can't compare your work based on the system. You have to, you have to use the love inside the script and trust that. And that's just where I'm, I'm coming from now as I create things. It's like, some people may hate it. Some people may love it, but did you love it? And is it making an impact? All right, on to the next, you know? I find it, I find reviews to be really contradictory, especially of like what, it's interesting, right? Because like I'll notice in like a newspaper, they'll usually do a feature on the show and previews promoting it. And then the review happens and they dismantle it. And I always find that to be really interesting because I'm like, well, what's it about? One, money. They probably paid for that ad space to get that interview. But now, like, I just find it to be interesting. Someone that loves theater so much to make it their job to review shows, then choose words to potentially actively end people's careers or end mm. a show. I find it to be really interesting. Like... Um, the New York Times, right? Jesse Green. Um, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm reading Shy right now, which is the biography that he co-wrote with Mary Rogers about Mary Rogers' life, who wrote Once Upon a Mattress. And I'm like, this person is so educated and learned in musical theater history, but also ends careers sometimes before they even begin. And I go, mm. is that love? mm well, also what's shifted in culture is social media mm -hmm. and this, you know, the real housewives, the Kardashians. We love messy. Culturally <laughs> speaking, we love messy. We find it comical. And so you end up reading a review. You know, I think it's Chris Jones out of um, Chicago does an excellent job of giving an analysis of a show, talking about the blind spots, trying to give suggestions to make it better. And... I don't know that that's his job, but that's what he does. And it does it in a way where you're like, oh, I, I might want to be interested in seeing the changes as a mm -hmm. result of this review mm -hmm. rather than, oh, it's laughable. It's horrible. It's this. And our industry is based on taste, baby. Like, come on, y'all. At the end of the day, you may think it's horrible. It may save someone's life. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it, and, and how as artists do we take our own power back? to make sure that we are not operating in a system because post pandemic, the system of great review, big box office is not always translating awards, not always translating. We have to get smarter. We have to get smarter. And that's something I'm very adamant about is like, how do you create an audience around the world mm -hmm. with your work mm -hmm. so that everyone's championing it before it comes in. And that's socially responsible artistry. I mean, you say, you talk about shows that aren't done often, um, uh, Scarlet Pimpernel is one of my favorite musicals of all time. Um, uh, and when I say that to people, they often look at me like, what? And Scarlet Pimpernel, I was introduced when I was about uh, to a, when I was about 10. And I will never forget hearing the music for the first time being like that and learning what waltz was and key changes and how they affected the story and how that and how it was this pop score mixed with these this french horn and this string and a harpsichord and it now when i saw it at lincoln center and i saw the concert with tony yazbek and um 
it was so exciting for me to see that. I had never seen a production of Scarlet Pimpernel done before. And yeah, it is, um, there are moments that are interesting, certainly. But that show shaped me and inspired mm. me. It saved my life. It, 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 it was one of those things where it was like, what else sounds like this? It helped me mm. dive into cast albums, learn more musicals, learn more stories. And um, I'm forever grateful for the show that might not be incredible, had three different versions of it, didn't get great reviews, but is not done regionally ev ever. You know, every mm. once in a while, there are shows that just exist out there that are big, bold. They've tried, they had runs, but they're not done after that. Chicken and Biscuits is that show that is going to be done with purpose mm. for mm -hmm. a very long time. And that that was the goal. It's like every summer I was doing summer stock in college pretty much. And you know, Hello Dolly, mm -hmm. Annie, mm -hmm. All Shook Up, you know, you could look at, now it's like Shrek, you know, mm -hmm. Kinky Boots is now in that arena of like, it's gonna be produced. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create something that would become a part of the canon. Mm -hmm. And now Chicken and Biscuits can be a holiday show. It's mm -hmm. falling in a lot of false slots for people because it's about Thanksgiving, you know, literally like family, not literally Thanksgiving, but it, it, it has that, you know, meal, moment and that family moment it feels like a holiday mm -hmm. um moment and so i i don't know it's it's really cool and it's black and every time it's produced there are seven black actors and one white guy in principal roles and that to me is legacy that I is feel, legacy i feel like i'm off book for the show because my fiance gets called in for the show really? <laughs> for, for michael yuri's character and oh i God. feel like i'm off book um, for the show because of the self-tapes that we've done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Um, so you are also a attached to another yeah, – I just need to say I really love Chicken and Biscuits, and I cannot wait to see another production. I was so I was so moved and elated when I saw it. It's, it's, it is black joy, and it is, it's beautiful. It was amazing to watch. Thank you. Um, you're also doing a different show attached to another entity, which is Bo. Can we talk yeah. about Bo? Bo? Uh, Bo was inspired, um, a friend of mine, Harley J. This is maybe 2015 or 16. Mm -hmm. um, after a show at Beautiful, I went and caught him at Rockwood Music Hall. He was doing a concert um, with a small set, his wife and a pianist. And between songs, he talked about growing up in Salt Lake City and spending the summers with his grandfather, a man who would like hotwire a radio to a motorcycle. And instead of going on vacations with his family, he would spend the summer with this man. And then he went into a song that he dedicated to this man. And I was like, I just fell in love with that man based on the way you set that up. And that mm. became the like impetus of the idea of an actor musician piece that allowed these quadruple threats, these actors who play all the things, mm -hmm. sing, move, um, they have to step away from their instruments and tap into a character. And so when I started the show, I didn't know exactly where it was going, but it turned out to be a coming of age queer story where this kid Ace Baker is being raised by his single mother, Raven, and he's dying to meet his biological father and she has no answers for him. All her family is gone. Um, she only, she, he is, you know, only looking to her for life. Um, and he gets a phone call at 12 that this man, Bo, is alive. It's his grandfather and his mother knew she was that his mother knew that Bo was alive. Um, and that kickstarts a lot of tension. And he sort of sneaks away and builds a relationship with this man who gives him life, love and music. Um, and on the back end, we are seeing a concert version of all the songs that came from his experience with this man and so the band players step out and play his stepfather and his bully and his mother and um we had workshops at the director's company uh two readings and then we bowed at the adirondack theater festival in 2019 and recorded a world premiere album um like a concept album with aisha jackson and um, charity dawson and saint Aubin in 2019 and then during the pandemic, after meeting Hunter, we shot this feature capture hybrid um, 
so it looks like a feature film, but it's also definitely a musical. And it's won some awards and we're opening December 1st um, at the Dances with Film inaugural festival here in New York City at Regal Cinemas for the opening night film. And so I'm, I'm excited about Bo because having done Rent and seen once, I wanted to create, I think Six is hitting it right now. The reason that show is popping is because it's very simple. It mm -hmm. hits you and it has great music. And I wanted something that celebrated the actor musician gave a great story, gave some love, and then sent you home. Um, so I'm I'm really proud of Bo. I think I think it's gonna be something cool, and it's for the new generation of musical theater artists, you know. And look at how accessible you're keeping musical theater. This industry isn't always accessible, right? Um, and you are you got this capture of it, which means more people are going to be able to see it. Yeah. Um, and that is sort of the direction that musical theater is should go into to an extent. I mean, yes, absolutely. Always there should be a show on Broadway if you can. But um, musical theater is an art form and art should be accessible and we should be figuring out ways to keep it accessible. And I feel like this is by you doing this capture and having it starting to um, go to film festivals. I feel like it is one of those ways that you're keeping theater accessible. Yeah, and what's cool, you know, is when we premiere the film in a couple of weeks, the tickets are $19. So a college kid at NYU who knows the album, because we have some fans in like Canada and London and Australia, like this film can pop around and people can see Bo and they don't have to break the bank. Broadway is coming to them. You know, I that also was a very cool thing that I think theater doesn't think about is mm -hmm. like build up the momentum with this film and then people will, come running to see it because they fell in love with the film you know look at tick um, tick boom right yeah like tick tick boom i i i feel like it was the sort of step in uh the uh, the right direction of there we have a lot of um film adaptations of musicals and some are massive hits and some aren't and it doesn't really matter how big and produced they are or how small and and indie or simple they are look at look at tick tick boom it was so simple in what it was and it and everyone loved it i mean yeah. everyone loved it and people are still talking about it to this day the um the the rent movie um i feel like there was a lot of anticipation but it didn't deliver necessarily in the ways that it could have or should have and um, people don't talk about it in the way that they should to this day. They talk about the Broadway show. They talk about the musical itself. Yeah. Um, but film adaptations, I think, are really, really, or or live captures or captures. I mean, with with uh, with TikTok, right? Um, I I read the comments just to see what people are 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 saying, and sometimes it's really really bad for my mental health, of course. But mm. and not on my posts, on other people's posts, and a lot of people call for the live capture, hmm. and I go and they're like, "Drop the live," and I see, "Drop the live capture." Where's the live capture? We want to see the live capture, and people are hungry for that. There's some, I think they're hungry for COVID. Disintegrated us. I mean, people can't come here as, as if they were able to before the pandemic. They can't come as able as they were able to before the, uh, you know, before the pandemic. And there are these young artists that are developing, that are craving theater, craving the, their story seen, and these live captures are helping. Yeah, it's accessibility. You know, it's we say like theater should be accessible to all. And then the ticket prices are $150. People don't make that money a day, you know. So why not let it become everybody's show? And then those that can really afford that ticket, you know, and, and that could be the one show that someone can see a year, but they fell in love with the movie and now they want to see it live. You know, I think it can work in the inverse. Um, and I'm just excited that like the trailer is out and it's bouncing its way around and people are excited about the potential of this new work that they don't know, you mm -hmm. know? It's different when you've seen Hamilton on Broadway and then it's kind of a capture of that thing. You actually don't know, no one's really seen the show unless you were at ATF. 
Um, we did a Lincoln Center concert as well. But so there's a little bit of like, you got to be there in the room where it happens to see the thing before it does its next thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I, I, I want folks to have the accessibility to fall in love with theater in the way that I did when the national tours of Rent and Cats came through my hometown, that I was able to find it because it wasn't too far away. Um, so we have to bring it to them sometimes. I'm just, you know, I'm thinking back, Tarzan was on Broadway in 06, right? Mm -hmm. I remember getting a rush ticket for that for $20. And that was, um, I don't know how much student rush tickets are or lottery tickets are now, but I mean, Music 40s, Man. 50s. Music Man is $79 for yeah. a rush ticket. And it's like, that's in what world? In what world is that accessibility? Yeah. I understand, yes, we are in commercial uh, a, a capitalist society you do have to make money but 76 trombones for a student rush <laughs> ticket come on i yeah it i get inflation supply and demand but i do fear the future of musical theater and, and broadway at all is not going to have an audience because people have moved on the pandemic taught people they could watch netflix and streamers and be just fine they could be entertained and they don't have the money. You know, I've heard from a couple of producers that a family that would maybe see five shows is seeing three. One that was seeing three is now seeing one because um, people just don't have the money. And so how do we make sure that Broadway doesn't become irrelevant in the conversation? There are some real Instagram and TikTok personalities that I think are doing a really beautiful job. Like theaterly is a new news source that has a really positive young um accessible vibe that creates content and videos that go really like viral and the kids love them i think that there are some creators that really are bridging that gap of accessibility and keeping theater um relevant what is with Bo? What is a lesson that you learned yourself as an artist um, that you're going to take with you for every other project that you are going to create? Building the foundation. So there are kids buying the sheet music to bow and listening to that album all around the world. Around the world. And so the show belongs to them before it belongs to Broadway. And that I'm so proud of That's because cool. it was written for them. It was written for you know, the kid who plays drums on a pail, but needs something to rock out to. We've been asked for drum charts from like a kid in some other country, you know, cause he, he liked the drum, you know, the, the drum section. And so uh, making theater a social movement is what I'm interested in. And, you know, it's also this queer story about, you know, being bullied and, falling in love and it being a dangerous love and not a healthy love and speaking up for yourself and finding yourself and finding yourself through music and how much of us pour ourselves into our art because we were running from something and mm -hmm. the idea of no longer running and looking in the mirror and loving what we see. It's also mm -hmm. a story about self-love, you know, and that is something that kids need as well, especially in this time of so much, you know, the Twitter thing and hate speech and, you can really fall out of line with who you are. And I wanted something in the way that Rent, you know, gave the mentality of no day but today, mm -hmm. live, love, community. I wanted something that's like, hey, queer kid, you're going to make it through. You don't have to run. Somebody loves you. Someone will find you. And theater can do that. And that's what I want Bo to do. And so the fact that kids are already finding it and they haven't even seen it is indicative of the possibilities. Theater can do that, but your theater does that. Definitely Thank does you. that. Doug, I love you so much. I think you are absolutely wonderful. Where can we find you on social media? I'm on Instagram as Chocolate Hipster and Douglas Sings on Twitter. And then I have a website, douglaslines.net. You are the absolute best. And uh, please, if you have any updates with anything that you're working on, let me know. I will post on uh, the Dear Multi-Hyphenate or at the Michael Kushner Instagram and keep everyone updated. As always, thanks to the Broadway Podcast Network. Thank you for listening and please rate, subscribe, comment, tell your friends, your family, everyone about this podcast and my book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Business 
comes out February 10th, 2023, um, available for pre-order right now. Doug Lyons is a part of it. And Doug Lyons, you are the best. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.